Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock Podcast. You know the one, the one about the beautiful club within the beautiful game. With me, Russell Guyver, and with Peter Marsh, my usual co-host. Hello, Peter. Hey, Russ. How are you doing? Not too bad, yeah. Just finally over my hangover from the weekend uh, last week. Recording this on Friday. Uh, <laughs> We've had quite a good time. There's um, quite a bit of feedback from our last podcast and people saying they're really enjoying it and uh, that it sounded like a raucous celebratory podcast, which it certainly turned into. That's what I mean. It was uh, just a very quiet affair, really. A couple of sweet cherries and then on the train home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and obviously um, we've gone into acute and sort of completely accurate detail about everything that happened on the day in terms of on the pitch. So there's no need to really analyse it. But just in case we missed anything um, cohesive, um, we'll probably just talk about the West Ham game in the first part of this podcast. Um, Also, plenty of football news, and I can feel another Peter rant coming on. Not because of Leeds coming up at the weekend, that'll be part three, um, although he might rant in that as well, but more to do with part two, where we've got some football news that has really irked I think pretty much all football fans by the sounds of it. Um, certainly any ones that are in favour of um, of just fair play, I think, in terms of treating of staff. Um, I think if anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, I'll be surprised, but you will soon find out when we get into part Be very careful, though. We need to be make sure we remain neutral throughout. That's what we signed up for when we did the podcast, you know. Did we? <laughs> oh, yes, yes, of course, yes, something like that. Well, it's 100%, you know... As people will know from our previous pods, we've never, ever expressed an opinion. No, that's right. Yes. I forgot myself for a minute. Yes, that's true. Indeed. <laughs> yes. So we we shall be um, getting our teeth into plenty of football stories. And I think also a general... And a, and a Watford managerial change. So it feels like... Uh, well, yeah. Again. Obviously, I mean, we haven't had a podcast for about um, six days. So, of course, there's been a managerial change at Watford. I don't know why we felt the need to mention that, Peter. Uh, but, I, yeah. I, the entertaining stat I read this week was that now Chris Wilder, their new manager, is that they've had it uh, with him. It's the same number of managers since 2012 as West Ham have had in their history. 
<laughs> yes, because we had a similar quote before, didn't we? They've actually matched it now. That's brilliant. Yeah. The irony being, of course, David Moyes has been under pressure for some time, and as far as I know, he's still in situation as we... Yeah, but he'll probably still last longer than the Watford manager, the next Watford manager. Yeah, they'll have had le- um, less managers than what they've had in this. Uh, it's absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? Totally ridiculous. And also, um, the other one, of course, who's like that uh, is um, Cellini, who was uh, the former chairman of Leeds, who we're playing this weekend, who um, now manages, I think it's Brescia. It's Brescia, yeah. Neatly ties in with the fact we met some some fans from Brescia at the weekend, one of whom is friends with Roberto De Zerbi. That was a bit bizarre, um, chatting to them post-match in the pub. And a shame I wasn't in more sober tones to be able to um, to get into more chatty detail with them. But um, but anyway, um, Brescia themselves is the club that Cellini now owns, I believe. I and he's, is, yeah. um, he's sacked, I think he's had 21 managers in six seasons or something like that. It's impressive. Even Watford can't compete with that. <laughs> yeah. They've tried really hard. It's almost as if he's not very good at appointing managers and therefore, ironically... Yes, is when, the... when you appoint 21 managers in six seasons, you probably have to start looking at who's appointing the managers rather than managers themselves. Yes. And it's like, well, that would involve looking at himself. Yes, exactly. Yeah, madness. Absolute madness. Well, part one, let's get on with talking about West Ham a bit more then, Peter. So further reflections on the game. 4-0, absolutely batter them. Could have been a lot worse for the Hammers, couldn't it, as well? Um, just going through in a bit more detail on the game, because we didn't really talk about too many of the details. Um, I mean, I think the first half was great. We played really well, but the second half was sensational. Um, the four goals we scored, first of all, um, the penalty. Um, two things. One, one is a bit of a moan, and the rest of it is just pure adulation. The moan is... That that build up from the back, where we passed it in very dangerous areas, having big balls, as Deserby would like to say, and passing it around successfully against what was a pretty dangerous press and quite an aggressive one from West Ham, played it around. I won't say who touched the ball because basically pretty much everyone did. All over the pitch, eventually ends up with Solly on the right hand side in the attacking third, plays a long sweeping ball over to Mitama. Possible criticisms of the West Ham guy not cutting it out. But basically, Mittimer's first touch, as always, was utterly sensational. His second touch um, put it into a dangerous position and he then got bundled over. And um, there was some debate on Sky Sports News on the ref watch thing, talking about, oh, was that a penalty, wasn't it? And they all agreed it was. But the fact they're even debating it is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, he went through the back of him. It didn't see, it seem like yeah, a really exactly. obvious to me. Yeah, and certainly not going to be overturned, which is what Dermot Gallagher said. I think he did say if it hadn't have been given, he's not sure it would have been overturned, but interesting. But anyway, the point yeah, is... That yeah, that... I think he's probably right, given the ones like the Welbeck one at Leicester that was obvious and the Welbeck yeah. one at Man U that were... Arguably, the Man U one was more obvious than that one. So but I then... would say quite possibly it wouldn't have been overruled. But then the Paul Pogba on Connolly one, of course, was because that's that's fine because it's Man United. Anyway, I've had my dig about that game enough times. Um, but no, the point I was making is that, you know, fantastic, absolutely fantastic move going forwards. It, it culminated in the penalty, which, of course, culminated in the first goal, which was beautifully put away by McAllister, um, who's now taken and scored. I think it's, is it five? Four this season. And then, yeah, the, the Wolves won last season after he missed yeah. the first one. That was it. So five in a row, he scored four of four of them this year, and he buried it. And it, the goalkeeper went the right way. Ariola looks a good keeper, and he went the right way, but he still couldn't get anywhere. Near. No, I, I thought he was the one West Ham player who came out of obsessively with any credit. To be honest, didn't yeah. he much wrong. He gave the ball away for the third goal, but it was on the halfway line. They should have done more with it. He made a brilliant save from in, in CISO, and yeah, yeah, and, yeah, did did what he could really. Everyone else was just, I mean, how Declan Rice is worth what. 
hundred million plus, whatever is beyond me. Well, um, I, I think that that would be an overpriced amount, but I do think he's a good player. But he was made. He's not having the best season as are West Ham, but he, he was made to look terrible, wasn't he? And he was made to look terrible mainly because of Caicedo and McAllister in that midfield area who just bossed the game. Yeah, Caicedo was my man of the match. I mean, he, to be honest, by a distance, I, I was surprised Mr. McGossett, yeah. to be honest. It was, it was it, I know that often these people who, who choose it are not real, you know, are not big fans and don't really know what they're talking about in a lot of ways. And so they choose the person who scored or person they've heard of most or whatever sort of thing. But, to me, Casado ran that game and he was quite the best player of the pitch by a distance. Yeah, I think so. I, I think he was immense and sensational in this game. I think he's getting better with every with every match. He's clearly not been affected by the transfer speculation in particular. Um, and he's obviously signed this new deal and he looks like he's fully on board with it. And there's some quotes saying that he's looking forward to um, trying to get us into and then playing in Europa League or European football. So it sounds as if his, his mind is not on anything in the summer. Of course, yeah. if people come in, then we'll see what happens. But the, the interesting the thing I not... thought on, on Saturday, though, was how similar the stats probably were generally to Fulham and, and Palace. And it is interesting that we've dominated all three of those games, yet we've won one, we've hammered one team, pardon the pun, but then drawn with another one and lost to another one. It's, you know, it does show that if you've a matter of taking your chances and all that. And, I mean, if Bowen, if Bowen scores at 1-0, could have been a different game, for example. Yeah, Palace, uh, McAllister had four attempts on goal. I think they were all on target or thereabouts, apart from the one that uh, went just wide in the second half. But the point is that two of those goals, uh, two of those shots should have been goals or or yeah. should have been very close to being goals. And, or the uh, one, obviously, that was a goal, but somehow they cocked up as well. Yes, which was not ideal. Um, but yes, it's on small margins in, in some senses. You know, West Ham, I think they did have one attack fairly early on, which... Um, it was a 1-0 and Steele made a good save from, from Bowen. Yeah, and you'd expect him to make the save, and we'll get on to talk about Steele in a minute, but the fact is he's still got to make it, and he still may not have done, or it may have been a, a more dangerous shot. And then what happens, you know, you, you end up with... Um, uh, in, in a totally different game where it's backs against the wall uh, for West Ham and they sit deeper and they don't need to come out and get a, a result and uh, or another goal. And then um, you might have a totally different game. Certainly wouldn't have a 4-0 win for starters, if, if you conceded. Um, but anyway, I mean, it was 18... A analysis, analysis that actually, you know, is why the, the, the public love you. The fact <laughs> that we, we conceded we wouldn't have won 4-0. Exactly, yes, yeah. It's like, was it Jamie Carragher or somebody who was saying, uh, if we don't score, we don't win or something like that? That sort of... <laughs> yeah, you know. it's just proper insight, isn't it? It should be at the Athletic with that kind of uh, insight. Anyway, um, yeah, 1-0 McAllister, 18 minutes, penalty spot, great, buried it, superb, and we're on our way, aren't we, then? And um, we, we were great, and although that was the only goal of the first half, I think we looked good in general, didn't we, in that first half? And... Um, you know, yeah, we, did, we didn't quite create the chances that maybe we could have done with the, the play we had. I think we had about 74% possession first half, which is yeah. more than we had in the second half, and didn't do maybe enough with it in the final third. There weren't that many clips on extra day about the first half. There was March's chance early on, there was the chance that there was at a goal, and then there was their chance with Bowen and maybe one more for us. And I think that was it. So, I mean, you know, in a way, with that much possession, you should have created more interesting stuff. But one thing they could have shown in more detail in that first half was the build-up to that that goal, the penalty, sorry, uh, that led to the goal. Um, it was brilliant, and it wasn't shown anywhere apart from it ended up on uh, the internet, something on YouTube, and there was something on North Sound Chat and here and, here and there. Um, but they didn't show it 
or even in the you know how they they have to edit a certain way on the BBC to fit everything in, and sometimes they won't show an interesting moment or a, or a key attack, but they will then talk about it in the analysis when they yeah. want to talk about a player. They'll show another clip where he's done something else, and I thought they they might have mentioned it in the analysis, and they didn't. They just showed the the general the last two or three passes and the. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's really annoying. And then I'll watch the Sky Highlights, which is a, essentially taking out adverts. is about a 22 to 23-minute highlight um, reel of the game, a, sort of a, a detailed one. And they didn't show it in that either. It was really annoying because I thought, well, that's that's the long-form one where you've got no excuse not to. I don't know why they didn't because maybe they just didn't really – it didn't register with them how good a move that was or something. I don't know. But it's, it seems yeah, like... but it, I like they mentioned that they certainly did show the build-up to the seconds. And the corner, yeah. <laughs> which would have been a brilliant goal if it had gone in as well. I mean, the turn of Casado on the edge of the box to completely take out about three of their players. That's in our, in our box, way. yeah. yeah. It was incredible. And, yeah, the way they passed it about and pulled the, yeah. So they were saying Steele's pass to Dunk was a bit short, but actually I wonder if whether it was that was the idea that it pulled the player in. You know, yeah. it's, you know it is massively high-risk football and they, they pulled the West Ham player in and then the ball to Casado was quite a bit quite high-risk and you know, we lose it there. There's a fair chance we'll concede. And then all yeah. the people who are moaning all the time about how we're passing it too closely will be like, I've proven right, even though we've then scored a load of goals through that as well. <laughs> and we were already leading by doing that as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree. And it was a great chance. Um, we shifted, made space. And it was it was close to being a, a class. That was the one with McAllister had the flick. Yeah, he flicked the defender who just stood there. I'm not sure even if it hadn't it had been that strong. So I didn't probably end up being a keeper. But it was... Mm. a. It was a, yeah, a really lovely move, really well worked. Yeah. The, the way they got the space. And I, I think that's where I feel that the, the difference is between Deserbi and Potter. Once they get that space through, and obviously Potter's football wasn't quite as high risk as well at the back, but he did pass it around the back and try and pass through. But once you know, players, you know, too often in the uh, certainly in the first couple of years of Potter, once the player got in McAllister's position, they would just hold it up and play it sideways or move it around and keep the ball. Whereas McAllister drove forward at their, their defence and ran at them. Hmm. And got from the edge of it all, out, just outside our area to just outside theirs. When yeah, to me, space of time. I'd agree with that. I think Potter's game was generally possession-based football, attractive football, passing a lot. Players would uh, would tend to be able to get deeper, and then there'd be a load of probing going on. But the probing would, by default, not be successful on the same level. Also, I do think we just happen to not be as good at finishing under under Potter. Whether that's to do with something going on in the coaching in that regard, I don't know. But nonetheless, I just felt that um, a lot of the attacking that Deserbi does is due to this studs-up tactic of draw them onto you, create the space between the lines, so you don't have to worry about trying to probe and go wide and come in and come back out wide. And, and you know, it's, it's it can be quite easy to defend against. If you look how Leicester won the title, they sat back in ways against teams like that and then countered and scored goals on the break for fun and in a sense certain elements of that we're doing I think more a case of um of just in possession when we're in defense rather than when we're defending out of possession but nonetheless it's the same thing of having that space ahead of you because you're going deeper and then making the room and, and we just get on with it because we've got that room to go into we're encouraged to do it and I think we are doing it a lot better now I think I think we just we sometimes Potter teams got on the front foot and played with pace and um, purpose a lot more. And they looked just as good. And that was, for example, towards the end in his last couple last of games. Games, yeah. yeah. When he played Grosch further forward and Trossard in the right position and Cathedo came in. Yeah. yeah. They were they were as good. But 
it, it questions why he didn't do that earlier, in my view. I and mean, I think. It, and Roberto is doing that by default all the time. There was interesting. Um, I don't think he has any idea of a plan B. He just goes for it and just. Yeah, it's basically his plan B is we haven't got enough attackers on. Let's throw some more on. Even at three, Delhi brought on a striker for a left back. It's one of the only times you're actually all right with the fact there's no plan B as such. (laughs) I think there has to be. There is a plan B. The plan B is just to keep adding more and more attacking players (laughs) until eventually it pays off, or it doesn't. I mean, so you've seen like obviously against Bournemouth it paid off, against Fulham it didn't. Hmm. Yeah, true. That's true. so, I mean, that's obviously very beneficial and it's great, great to see. Um, I forgot what I was going to say next, actually. Now you've thrown me off slightly, but, uh, no, no, that's fine. It's all right. It was just some, along the lines. Oh, I know what it was. Yeah. There was, um, a quote from somebody. I've no idea who the person is, but someone on Twitter has quoted Rio Ferdinand as having said that he's been speaking with Danny Welbeck and Adam Lalana, who the, the, the former, of course, he'll know through Man United and probably through England, and the latter he'll know through England as well. Uh, so they apparently have been in conversation, and both those guys were f- waxing lyrical about Roberto saying he's the one. So I think, do we move on from Mourinho self-declaring himself as, well, it was a special one rather than the special one, if we're being accurate. But now have we just gone, we've just simplified it with Roberto. It's just the one. <laughs> it's great. Um, yeah, if he's the one. And he's t- they were talking about... The, the level of detail in training and the level of enthusiasm and togetherness that all the players have in training and how much they're enjoying going in and how that's obviously reaping its benefits on match days. Also, just how, to what degree everyone knows what they're doing on match days because they've trained so, um, in so much detail. Um, so meticulously, so thoroughly that they that it's almost easier to play the the game on the pitch and it than it would have been um, for the training. And in the end, I think that's borne out. Somebody, I think um, it may have been Robin actually. I can't remember who it was. Somebody on one of the WhatsApp groups said um, that it was impressive how no matter how fast we're playing the ball around, players spare quite close to to the play know where they need to be, know where they are, know, know where they need to be, and they're already reacting to what's happening despite fast one-touch football occurring. And I think we are really stepping on into a new era here. We'll talk more about that in a minute, I, I guess. And what what is interesting as well, if I may add one more thing, Jason Steele we mentioned, obviously they're big, big talk because he came in um, replacing uh, Robert Sanchez, Bobby Sanchez. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah. and you know, it's it, it's a ballsy move, but I think it's good on two fronts. I think, first of all, if he feels that um, Robert needs a break, if he feels that he's not at his best or just getting jaded or whatever it is, that's one thing. Secondly, I think it's important that you do champion and make the best of your other alternatives as well. I think it's important that Jason Steele gets some game time. So he's, while we're on and up, and if we do need a player later on due to injuries, even if Sanchez has got back in first choice, we want our backups to have a little bit more experience than just the cup run, much as our cup run's going pretty well at the moment. But, you know, we want to have him having more experience. It was only, I think, was it his second Premier League start for the Ambien? And the other one was good, Sanchez was suspended. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's positive in that sense. But I think, moreover, the point is he's come out and said, at the moment... He thinks that um, Jason Steele, who he's now had more time to get to know more about and see more in, see more of in training, is 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 looking like more of a suitable fit for what he's trying to do. Is either getting or understanding or responding better to 
and what he's trying to do. And again, well. there was a an example on North Stand chat that people put up two different examples of a pass from Sanchez and a pass from Steele in a similar situation. And Sanchez went wide, whereas Steele went into the centre, which is what Deserby wants to do more, people, people are saying. So, yeah, he, he fits in with the, the quite high-risk sort of game. So, yeah, well, Sanchez maybe never quite looked comfortable. There's been some discussion of maybe he misses Ben Roberts, because obviously Ian Roberts were, were very close and he was part of his development and, and stuff. And Roberts might actually be the one we missed the most of that whole team. Um, not that. saying that the new keeping goalkeeper coach isn't good enough, just more that Roberts was exceptional and you know, really good. Yeah. And obviously it takes time to build a relationship with the goalkeeper as well. You know, it's a yeah. very, very specialised field. You know, you're literally not coaching one on 21 or or three on 21. You're coaching one on three or whatever sort of thing. And Yeah, I think also the thing with that is it's just, it's um, definitely, I think Ben Roberts was going under the radar and we were happy to see him going under the radar for so long. The only issue, as I've, I've said before on the pod, is that uh, was if Potter left because um, he already knows how good he is. And if there was any issues with whoever they've got elsewhere, he's going to bring him along. And of course, he's done that. Well, in fact, he's done it straight away uh, because he obviously values him so highly. He thought, well, Chelsea aren't doing well with keepers. Whatever they're doing isn't going to be as good as what we've got here at Brighton. So and even there, he seems to have improved Kepa to the point where he's done okay this season. Exactly. It's quite impressive, really, considering how crap he is. <laughs> his name. Yeah, I, I think. Um, that is a great loss, and I do think that is related to a drop-off in form from Sanchez. I, don't... I think also the slightly more high-risk thing, probably, he isn't maybe that comfortable with. He's got to build and grow in it, and I mean, yeah. Steele obviously is thriving in it, but I think, yeah, it's safe to say that Sanchez maybe isn't quite as comfortable as Deserby said, and he just needs to grow and become a, you know, improve, and yeah, yeah. we can see what happens with all the keepers in the season, because obviously Carl Rushworth is all over the, you know, kind of the headlines in the League One, doing brilliantly at Lincoln. And even the, the next next in line Beadle is having a good running crew at the moment as well. So we've got like a load of young keepers back, backing up to, to replace him in the future. And Sherpin's just been caught up to the Dutch squad as, squad as well. So I was going to say that. Shorty's doing all right, isn't he? <laughs> about 17 foot tall but he's, he's yeah I mean I, I haven't really been keeping track of what he's been doing club no, no, I know he's been playing quite a lot but I'm not sure how well he's been doing mm. test, but he's, he has been called to the Dutch squarries and he, which suggests he's obviously done okay yeah he's obviously catching the eye to enough of a degree and not just for his height um, but he's you're right sharpened his technique yes <laughs> oh god oh dear here we go I'm going to move swiftly on with one final point about goalkeepers to say that um, yeah it was, it was ostensibly mentioned that Steele is um, seems to be more comfortable with, with the ball at his feet and playing out from the back in the way that he wants. That's what he said, wasn't it? I mean, we recall Sanchez has, has got some good distribution. It's it's hit and miss, isn't it? That's the only thing. We, there was the goal, I think it was um, where he played the ball out to Kukurea for one of the Man United um, 4-0 goals. Um, where it was a, it was a, yeah, a and a Liverpool away goal, first, uh, second goal as oh, well. Yeah. Incredible. So he can do that. But again, as you said, that's where you're putting it out to the, to the wider. Yeah, and also in a way, that's not what Deserby wants. Very rarely have we kicked long upfield under Deserby. It's the playing at tight angles and the, you know, making the right angle for a player and knowing exactly where the next player is going to be and playing it around at very, very kind of like tight angles. That's, that's what we need. And yeah, yeah. maybe, yeah, Atanja yeah, does not take as many risks as he wants him to. Yeah, well, certainly the way that. Um, Roberto's team is playing is the way we want them to play because it was looking sensational. We passed them off the pitch, West Ham. We were utterly incredible, I thought. Um, 
going on just in terms of the second goal, Veltman, I mean, in the end, it couldn't have been a simpler finish. We mentioned, obviously, the build-up that led to the corner, um, which was a good attack. Yeah, from a corner. I know. What's that? Something like 100, I think the stat was 145, 150 set pieces um, this season or something, and that's pretty much the first one apart from penalties that we've, we've scored. Well, a couple of free kicks as well. It's something along those lines, isn't it? Or is that just the corner stats we're talking about? Corners, I've never thought, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, probably is. Games, you probably get an average of about six corners a game. And Jason Steele was interviewed after the game for Match of the Day, and I think on um, a couple of other channels as well. And he was mentioning the fact that they were particularly delighted to have scored from set pieces. Yeah. So it's clearly something that they've been working on for him to mention. well worked because West Ham clearly were bigger than us. So it's kind of like trying to find a way of... And McAllister's run to the front post was really clever. Mm. And the defence just took the vent out. And then, yeah, I mean, quite mm. what they were doing with, with Beltman. Beltman yeah, was the Beltman. to... Was um was it Barnes score for Leicester against us in yeah. a two all? But obviously that there at least Van Hecker was near and trying to clear it. Whereas Beltman, yeah, it was a really good idea as well to, to chest it in. He kind of like it was quite sharp thinking to it was a bit low to head and a bit high to kick. So he he did really well to chest it in. I thought he was just um taking the invisible man's um clever medicine really because no one seemed to notice him there did they no. there was criticism one of the West Ham players should have noticed and picked up on it or well, they were saying the king was right by the keeper weren't they the yeah he was just he standing with the keeper and then just backed away slightly to create some space and the ball comes across and then of course he, he just with a slight swivel of his uh of his upper torso he just chests it into the goal you should never in my opinion be able to chest the ball into the goal from right. a corner and um, from a West Ham point of view, there must be uh, well, yeah, Dave, uh, David Moyes must be fuming with that because that's just not good enough, is it? Really? They're normally pretty good at set pieces. Well. Sorry, they're normally pretty good at set pieces. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they've fallen away in so many regards. And my cousin sent sent me a message before the game, and I, I think part of it was trying to reverse jinx it. But he said, "Congratulations on your comfortable win tomorrow." Sent um, on the Friday, <laughs> well, he was right, <laughs> but I don't think I, I don't think it was um, shithousery. I think he genuinely was just on a downer about West Ham and assumed that we beat them easily. Never as never as the uh, phrase "Can say our song, can we play you every week?" been so appropriate. <laughs> yes, exactly. We were literally league champions, pretty much, or at least yeah. not far off. We've had 12 games against them in the six years now. We've com- completed the double over them this year. We've won six out of 12. We've drawn the other six. It's not bad going, is it, really? Yeah, we've, we've won, what, 3-0, 4-0, yeah. uh, 3-1 the first season. So we had a few quite comfortable. 3-1 yeah. end of last season. The 2-0 yeah. up there was pretty comfortable this season as well. We could have anything at one by more there. Yeah, we're chatting to a couple of West Ham fans after the game and they were saying the same thing. They th- they said we weren't in either of the games. Um, you comfortably won it, both of them comfortably. Yeah, I, there's a lot of talk about, you know, maybe our, this was our best performance of the season and I wasn't, I'm not sure about that. I actually think the away performance was better. I thought we played really well and dominated and they were better that day. They weren't great, but they were better and it was mm-hmm. a harder. I don't think when someone turns up and basically gives up a 2-0, you can really say it's the best performance of the season. They were just terrible, West Ham. Yeah, true. Um, but we we made sure they looked terrible. That's for oh, sure. Oh yeah, really. I'm not I'm not diminishing the performance. I'm just saying that there's been others where we've been better at games. We've been better, I think. On the subject of the goal, so McAllister got the first one, and then he assisted for Veltman for that second one. Um, is there an argument? Raymond, the gent, has posed the question to me: Should people that win inverted commas win penalties be given the assist? Because in the case of Mitama, he's created a dangerous goal chance. Yeah. Well, he was going to be. It was going to be dangerous anyway, probably directly for him. But in the 
the off chance, it, it seems a bit harsh not to get an assist for for quite clearly winning. Yeah, pass. I think I Sometimes it would be a blurry issue, but not something like that. I, well, I agree. You that if you pass to someone thirty yards out and they run past six players and beat them and shoot and score, it's yeah. you get an assist. Or you miss yeah. hit the ball into the path of a a, a colleague. Because yeah. I mean, the Liverpool one of the Liverpool goals. Um, against Man United in another low-scoring affair there, 7-0. No one saw that coming. But one of them, I think it was Firmino's goal, because he came on at the end, you know, it's the perfect script. He's announced he's leaving at the end of the season. And, of course, the ball just ricochets off a couple of Liverpool players who barely knew anything about it, and then he pops it in the net. I think it was the Firmino goal. Um, you know, they get assists, so why shouldn't Mitterman? Anyway, that rant over on that one. Um, Mitterman himself, speaking of which, then scored... The third goal, um, assist there was by Pascal Gross, who we'll also talk about in a moment. Um, Lovely that, moves again, really well worked. What a good goal that was. Talk, talk us through it, Peter. Can you remember much about it? Yeah, it was a um, poor clearance. I've definitely not been watching match of the day quite a lot this week. Poor clearance <laughs> from Ariola, um, straight to Veltman, I think it was, who played a 1-2 with, and then played it through to March, who, oh no, to Ferguson, sorry, who flipped it into March, who kind yeah. of cut in initially. And then realised there was they actually did really well. I think he was looking for a shot at first. Realised there wasn't one, and then cut back out again and played a really nice ball to Grash, who, who I thought. I mean, I my my view at the time was initially it was going to go straight across and go out for a goal kick, and then that Mitoma Mitoma had only poked into the side netting. It's only when everyone was up celebrating, I realised it definitely had gone in. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that, this this is the thing we're making again. Talk comparing with Potter. We, we're going along these lines of the right decisions in the final third. I think. Um, you said there it wasn't quite right. He realises the option to cut back and then put it in. And then it's making the right decisions and having that confidence. When you've got the confidence, you will tend to make the right decisions, thinking on your feet in split seconds a lot more. And also, you know, you look at people like Solly March in particular, who 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 are really wayward in that regard before and are clearly not now. Um, He looked so dangerous in the first half. There was that first chance we had, actually, um, Solly, where he, he... he had a couple of options to wind a ball in or maybe even try a speculative shot with his left foot from the from the angle of the corner of the penalty area. And he ended up realising, hang on, I can shuffle one way and the other here, get past a couple of players. Well, and didn't play. need to even do that. They kind of opened up for him, didn't they? Kind of yeah, like... well, true. It was a bit like that. But I think he sensed that. That's part of yeah, the... Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying it doesn't make yeah. it any, yeah, from March, but they, they again, sure. were dreadful, yeah. weren't they? Yeah, yeah. But fantastic goal. What a goal. And what's more, he managed to avoid an injury that he might have got yeah. into there sliding in. I was, as I saw it happening, I thought well, whether this goes in or not, I'm slightly cringing here about whether he's going to collide and like, break his shin or something. But um, he seemed to avoid contact altogether with the post. Yeah, he managed he to poke the ball one side and then get to go to the other side of the post, didn't he? And, yeah. and stay on side as well, which was good. Well, I think it was basically the defender desperately trying to block Grosh with his leg going backwards that so kind of like kept him on side. Yeah. I think he, it would have been quite quite close if he'd been standing where he was. But I think it's because the defender kind of like stuck his leg out to try and like block the cross. That kind yeah. of played Matoma Mitomo on side. And chronologically speaking, I think I'm right in saying that Enciso had that chance that was well saved by Ariola, who we mentioned was yeah. was good. He had a shot from just outside the area, I think, wasn't it, as as a sub. Um, and it was a perfectly placed ball that was going right in the corner. And it was tipped. Um, a little bit of contact was was achievable by Ariola, enough to tip it onto the bar and over. It's a shame because it would have broken his duck and, uh, in the Premier League and got him really underway, um, I think. It's a bit of a shame. Buenonote as well, who has had the ball in the net but was disallowed on one occasion before, 
then set up Welbeck for the fourth goal in this game. So he's at least made his mark to some degree um, at the moment, hasn't he? But I've got the feeling Sarmiento and Ciso Buenanote, either collectively or, or, or in part, will start to break on the scene in the, this season in the next few yeah. games. Sarmiento's also got an assist as well against Bournemouth, hasn't he? He's hit yeah. a really good cross for... That's right, yeah. And we've got this intensity of games coming up, this intense schedule of games. So they are going to get used more. And I think they're going to be key extra ingredients. We're, in we're going to go into, I was like it earlier, we're going to go into April with only two less, just about two thirds of the way through the season in terms of league games. Which is crazy. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we've got 13 games to come in the league in March and April, um, April and May, potentially at least one cup game as well. And then another one, if we got to the final at the end of the early June. Yeah. We've got snow going on in the north of England at the moment. We've had snow coming back this week. We had a little bit around our parts as well, haven't we, in London? But nothing, none of it's settled here, really. But up in the north, it's it has it, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Up north, it's um, I think it's settled a bit more. And someone posed the question, or will, will the, could the game possibly get postponed due to access routes yeah. and, this and the other? I really hope not. We've got so many games in hand now. And... I mean, it's almost certain, in my opinion, that one of the two, probably both of the two teams go through to the semi-finals of the FA Cup. So that would um, complicate the fixture schedule even more. Yeah. Um, if we don't get through in the Cup, we'd probably, um, you know, we, we, we're still likely to get the game postponed because of United and vice versa. So uh, there we go. But anyway... Um, the fourth goal, yeah, Welbeck. So I've mentioned on the match day special how irritating that was. <laughs> it cost me about 100 quid on a bet, which is pretty disappointing. So, Danny, I'm still waiting for my check um, <laughs> or modern equivalent. Um, I doubt I'm going to get that really. 89th minute as well. So close, so close. But as I said, when Anotti set it up, it was, a, it was a funny sort of goal, wasn't it? Again, they just stood off. They'd given up West Ham after a couple of goals, hadn't they? And they really yeah, stood off. They finished them off, basically, didn't they? It was like... Yeah, he received it in a, a position still relatively far out from goal, and he was able to take a couple of casual touches with a player quite close to him, to his left, who just didn't really press in enough. He was close to him, but never seemed to really get close enough to him. And he was able to just casually get a shot off and, boom, bottom corner. Yes, and- the opposite of Matoma, as I, I saw that was going in the minute he hit it from the east. That was like literally right tracking right behind it. And you could yeah. see that, that Ariola wasn't getting close to that from the minute he... The minute Welbeck hit it. Yeah. So, you know, cracking, cracking day, cracking game. Any other thoughts on the game itself? I mean, my, mine would be that I agree with you. Caicedo on reflection is 100% the man of the match. I did think that Solly had a great game, though, which I mentioned on the match day special. Also, I think Alexis McAllister's coming back to his best. I, mean, I suppose there's a bit of a like a World Cup hangover, possibly physically, physically as well as mentally. Um, there might be something in that. Um, there may be disruption going on personally. I'm not sure what's what exactly some sort of speculation on that score. But whatever's involved, he, he hadn't quite got into his flow and it felt like he was really back to his best. Esther Pignan, again, was absolutely outstanding. I think still a bit of an unsung hero, actually. To some I, I think I'm actually, as it stands, going to vote for him a player of the year because I'm not sure I'll get many votes, but I think he's as he's good a, he's had a good yeah, season he, as anyone. He sort of goes under the radar because of yeah. others are playing because he's a left back. But he's I mean, made five assists since the World Cup or something now. And, and I yeah. think we, we lost the way a bit after, against Fulham after he went off. Yeah. Now, obviously, that's partly because we didn't have a natural replacement. We don't have another left-back option. But, um, yeah, yeah I, I think he's been brilliant. Apart from the aforementioned 
7-0 drubbing of Man United by Liverpool, which, of course, didn't really help us from a personal point of view, especially with the goal difference as well. I don't see us getting back ahead of Liverpool now. I, I think they're getting in their stride. Um, they might slip up here and there, but so will we probably. Um, but I think one one thing aside from that is the uh, the results elsewhere went our way. I thought they were they were quite good. I mean, Newcastle obviously losing to City. We're not going to catch City. We might catch Newcastle. Probably will. Um, Spurs losing, which was great news for us as well. That was at Wolves, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so there's some great results in our favour. So we clawed stuff back, and then of course on Monday. I mean, we probably would have liked to draw between Brentford and Fulham, but the next most favourable result would be the home team Brentford winning, which they did three one. I think um, so. Even though, even though technically they have actually got games in hand on Fulham, are only a point or two behind now. But I think if, if yeah, assuming that Tony is I think losing him will be a. I really hope that Tony gets banned this month and then he doesn't play us this time because he was literally the difference between the two teams last in in October. So um, this might be an opportune moment to mention that we're having a, a couple of tipples. Um, the Gamma Ray from Beavertown, for me, um, was what I had just now. And you may just have heard some noise as I opened an explosive can of <laughs> of Iron Pier Brewery, which is in um, Essex. Uh, I will talk more about that in a minute when we talk about non-league football. But um, Iron Beer Brewery is, is based there. I was there on Tuesday for a Worthing game, which I shall talk about later. But... Um, they had someone tap in the um, Evening Star, and we were having yeah. someone, weren't we, on Saturday. But what have you got anyway, Peter? Uh, nothing very exciting. I, uh, it's a Czech Pilsner from MS. Nothing, nothing wrong exciting. with that. Just getting into the mood ready for our European tour, are you, Peter? <laughs> we're all going on a European tour. Yeah. Well, it's, it's seeming increasingly likely, as we said, the results went our way. We, the, Let's the not get issue... carried away there. Let's not. Oh, no, we're not going to get carried away, but it is becoming a genuine, exciting situation is that now we, we need to keep our heads um but um if we can i mean the biggest issue and it's the one you've mentioned to do with the transfer window as well we're not strengthening as much as you would have liked um that that fixture list is going to be the only main bugbear yeah. isn't it Ross? um we have got players coming back i mean obviously welbeck's now come back into the equation colwell's been training and and apparently is now available and um, i think modder is actually not far behind um and who else is somebody else well lamptey's out injured at the moment but there's who else has come back into the equation recently colwell um, you say colwell yeah, Cole will uh, Webster's still come more, back into the game. out for a bit. Um, hmm. Yeah. So, okay. I mean, that is at least a bonus because we're, we're getting the strength yeah. of what we have got um, at least available. And if we can keep them fit, I think we can do it. But um, what, what it is uh, depends on uh, – it could be any range. Champions League still possible, but let's be realistic. It's probably – I, I don't think be... – I think my main view is I'm very glad we've played Liverpool twice already. That's kind oh, of yeah. I think so. I mean, we won't we won't catch Liverpool in my opinion. Well, I don't, no way we'll catch Man U. They're too far ahead. Um, Spurs. It depends what's going on with Spurs because Spurs lost as we mentioned. Conte is back. You know the uh, nominee for player uh, for manager of the month, despite only managing one of the games due to his operation that's seen him stay in Italy for most of the month. He's come back and they've lost the Champions League game. And now there's speculation about Deserbi, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, I, was, I was disappointed about that. Because uh, I thought I'd rather they were kept stayed in the Champions League and had more more games and yeah, because they're not in either of the cups, are they? So I was kind of yeah. hoping they get knocked out of the, and get get through the Champions League and have more focus on there. Exactly. I, I, I don't think Deserbi will go there. I think the, the focus seems to be on Pochettino returning. 
Yeah, I think, I think that's what the majority of Spurs fans seem to want. And actually today, De Zerbi has made a statement, because I think it was today, um, he's done his press conference. Yeah. And um, he, he said that I have a long contract and I'm happy to work here. I'm enjoying working with these players and I'm pleased with their performance. I cannot ask for more from them. We have a dream and we know very well that we can write a new history for the club. For us, that is very important and a very nice challenge. And he also went on to say... We are happy because people are speaking about our quality of play. We are proud, but we have to be focused on our next game. And uh, this was in response to questions about uh, the Spurs job. Um, I, I don't think, think they'll, I don't think they'll, they'll go for him. I think people will steer a bit clear of our managers anyway after Potter. But I think in essence, we, you know, you're saying about Europe. I think we, we basically need to become above Brentford, Fulham, and Chelsea, don't we? As, yeah. Assuming that Blackburn and Sheffield United don't win the champ, don't win the FA Cup. Yeah. We only need to come top seven to get to Europe. Yeah. One of the beauties is if, if one of those teams goes on an annoyingly good run, you could suspect Chelsea, um, me, me, most namely amongst those. And there is every chance that um, teams doing that could also be taking points away from other sides we could catch, like Newcastle. So, you know, I, I don't know if they've got to play each other still or not. Uh, but, you know, it's we those still kind of... All three of those, though. Yeah. yeah, true. But, um, but that's that anyway. Um, yeah, in terms of... Um, the uh, the rest of the weekend stuff, I think it was, it's good results. The bottom of the table is looking really interesting, isn't it? Um, what is it? Six points between about seven or eight teams. Um, the top of the pos- of the realistically possible relegated side. Sadly, we can't include Chelsea in this. Um, they and Villa share thirty four points, but Villa beating Palace, of course, which was yet another joyful result from the weekend. Always enjoy that. Um, they, they, that's actually opened the gap between those two teams who are next to each other in the table to seven points. So Palace are, are seven below Villa in 12th place on 27 and goal difference ahead of Wolves who've got the winning in Spurs. Um, those sides are not safe yet. I wouldn't realistically think they'll go down, but it's good to see Palace are still in the equation at least. Um, looking further down, we've got Forrest a point below that on 26 who drew with Everton and I think it was crucial they came back twice to draw that because... Um, they would have been such just that bit too close. Everton would have been on 24 points instead of 22. Forrest would have been on 25. So effectively, they would have been more or less level. And um, yeah, so we've we've got essentially, yeah, um, so we've got Palace and Wolves on 27, um, Forrest on 24, sorry, on 26, Leicester still struggling on 24, West Ham struggling, of course, thanks to the result against us, 23 points. Leeds on 22, and with a game in hand over Everton in the first of the bottom three places, also on 22, and with a quite significantly inferior goal difference. Um, Southampton, a point below that on 21, also with a game in hand, as do Bournemouth, who are goal difference behind Saints, on 21. So you've got between Palace in 12th and Bournemouth in bottom spot, six points. Um, Really exciting from a neutral point of view, which we're glad to say is the case for us. Um, except as, as it pertains to Palace, anyway. Uh, um, it's great to see, isn't it? What do, what do you make of that? Yeah, it's all very, very interesting. I mean, temptation is to say I really like the Northern teams to go down because there's going to be an influx of Northern teams in the Championship. And if, like, West, I don't know, West Ham, uh, Southampton and Bournemouth went down and Burnley, Sheffield United and Blackburn went up, that would completely, or Burnley, Sheffield United and Middlesbrough, that would completely kind of change the whole kind of you know, wet range of the whole division, wouldn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And we we have tended to 
got points against some of the teams that we should be getting points against. And if you look at that, goalless draw at home to Forest, the two will draw at Leicester, partly thanks to officiating um, Leicester. And um, I guess uh, we nearly got the same scenario with Bournemouth, although we managed to beat them. Um, but we have beaten Southampton 3-1 away. We've beaten Everton 4-1 away. We've just beaten West Ham 4-0. And this weekend we've got Leeds, which we'll come on to in uh, the final part of the pod. Um it's hard to call. I still think Bournemouth and Saints will go down. And if I'm, if I was putting money on it, I would still have a hunch about Forrest, to be honest. You look at the goal difference and that's usually a very telling sign. And if we are talking about goal difference, Bournemouth um, are on minus 27. The next worst team is Forrest in 14th. They've yeah, got well, they, they, they had like, a lot of really bad results early on until, until recently had like, stemmed that until they lost to West Ham. True. So on that basis, I would think I think Leicester would would be able to still scrap the way out of it. I think West Ham would actually, although not not based on Saturday's performance. Yeah, I think Palace think, will as well, and Palace will be fine. Yeah. I think Wolves will definitely be fine. They know what they're doing. Yeah, they, so they've that, done really well under Lopetegui. If that is all to be the case, and if Southampton don't have enough, although they've got a bit of fight under the interim guy, to, um, haven't they? But um, if it isn't Saints to claw away, and it isn't Bournemouth, then we're talking Leeds and Everton battling for the other place. Um, which have entertainment. Yeah, it's, well, it's entertainment value, isn't it, from our point of view, from for different reasons. Everton, there's that whole shock value of a big club that's been there forever, the second longest serving team in the top flight on current consistent successive run uh, behind Arsenal. And Leeds, of course, the newer team, similar size to Everton as a club, uh, both very big clubs, and they've been fighting to get back for so long. They only just got out of trouble in their second season. And, um, hmm. It's looking a little bit ropey, isn't it? Yeah, there's, well, we'll go into it later on, but there's talk they've got Rodrigo either back tomorrow or back soon, which will be a big boost for them. True. Um, he, he might not be very match-up against us, but at least he'll be back. Yeah, but exactly. He might be back properly after international break or something, you know, yeah. so that would be a big boost for them. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. It's like it's just very nice not to be involved in it at all. And uh, Yeah. And to have the the additional excitement of still having something to play for, uh, yeah. despite that, <laughs> unusually at the other end of the table. So fantastic stuff. Right. OK, well, let's break for part one. In part two, we're going to talk about some other general football news. Uh, so that's coming up after this very short break, which is constituting the form of our little drum insert. And welcome back to part two of the podcast with me, Russell, and him, Peter, as we move on to general football discussions. And there's been quite a bit going on this week. Um, One thing actually on the Albion, before I get into the main meat of this bone, I've just got to mention the Albion. They've parted company with their manager, uh, Scherfen, I think his name is who's a German uh, guy who'd come in to replace Hope Powell after a few games in interim charged by Amy Merricks. And he has now uh, left the club by mutual consent. Um, I've heard some speculation about some things to what it might be to do with about just not just not really gelling very well, basically, essentially, and maybe that's not a very good a very good fit, personality, character wise, whatever it might be. I don't know the, the ins and outs. We don't want to speculate really, but ultimately, uh, not ideal. You don't really want the disruption in what has already uh, turned into a struggling season. Uh, thanks to a bad start. Um, but he's gone. Brighton are now two points clear of relegation, which is the only position, the bottom position Leicester are currently holding. 
the Albion, they lost uh, the weekend, but that was 3-1 against Chelsea with Amy Merricks in temporary charge again. Um, apparently, they were looked a lot more organised and you know gave a good account of themselves. And they did hit the bar after pulling a goal back as well in that 3-1 defeat. Um, and they've still got one more game in hand and they've got some winnable matches. Um, so hopefully they'll survive. It's all just about that now. But disappointing to see that there's been so much upheaval after all the the exodus of players in the summer and everything else that's going on. It's not working out so well for the girls at the moment, is it? No, it's not. After a couple of quite strong seasons where they've come upper slash lower middle table sort of thing, they've really struggled this year. And yeah, having lost like four or five key players in the summer, it's obviously had a, a big impact. Um, but yeah, but obviously whatever happened with him, it didn't work out clearly. And it's probably best that they, you know, if they don't, if he doesn't be able to fill that committed and they, you know, he wasn't what the, the, the players were warming to him, that it's that probably that's better to part ways already, you know. Yeah. You've mentioned the, the Watford departure, which is one other bit of big news. So let's get on to the really meaty subject. So uh, it's been announced today in a report that, amongst other places, the BBC have reported saying Gary Lineker is to step back from presenting Match of the Day. Report on their website by Rachel Russell and Charlie Adams, not to be confused with Charlie Adam, um, which reads, just to give the top few lines, it says Gary Lineker is to step back from presenting until an agreement is reached on his social media use, the BBC has said. It follows an impartiality row over comments he made criticising the government's new asylum policy, which I criticise vehemently, by the way, as well. Um, the BBC said it considered Lineker's recent social media activity to be a breach of our guidelines, and it added he should to quote, keep well away from taking sides on party political issues or political controversies. Um, one final bit, just to quote, it says, um, extensive discussions with Gary and his team in recent days, uh, or following those rather, uh, he, is, he um, has decided that he will step back from presenting Match of the Day until we've got an agreement and a clear position on his use of social media. So firstly, before you get into it, Peter, I'm going to say clearly what that means is he hasn't decided that, or if he has, it's as a protest. Yeah. Secondly, there's clearly a, a disagreement on whether he should be involved in that between the BBC and, and Lineker, because the fact that they're debating it's still in question uh, means that they're clearly not seeing eye to eye on that matter at all. And it sounds as if Gary Lineker is, is digging his heels in on it. And the other point to mention is that Ian Wright has said that he is not going to be on presumably he was scheduled to be on this weekend. He said he's not going to be on whichever of the two episodes he was going to be on this weekend uh, as a protest about that. Um, He said he can't, he does, I can't remember the quote, but he said essentially he doesn't feel uh, inclined to come on uh, given the situation. So obviously in support of Gary Lineker. Um, To to put it briefly, Gary Lineker is quite, um, quite, um, prolific on Twitter. He does put a lot of stuff on there. He's been very critical of the government. Um, I don't see what's wrong with that. <laughs> Personally, if if the government, any government, are going to be as shambolic as they have been, I don't see an issue with that. Personally, that's one thing. I've got a particular issue, and I'm sure you're, this is part of your rant coming up, Peter. Um, the, the bit where it says, I've lost the quote now, uh, about um, uh, yes, when it comes to um, leading our football sports coverage no no where is it where is it uh yes oh yes and um, should keep well away from taking sides on party political issues or political controversies that particular quote given the chairman of the bbc's um activities i'm sure that's going to be part of it but i'm going to put it over to you peter because we we all love a good peter marsh rant here we go i'm just really chilled about the whole thing 
Um, <laughs> yes, right. Uh, I don't know where to start with. Really. I think I'll start. His tweet is actually accurate. What they've done is actually very similar to what the Nazis did before the war. And he's not saying that they're going to then go on and, you know, murder people and that sort of thing. He's not said that anywhere. What he said is that actually their actions are very similar to the anti-immigration policies of the Nazis pre-war. And it's true. If you look, yeah. if anyone actually researches what the Nazis did, demonizing immigrants, demonizing people who were trying to, who were desperate and trying to get into the country and that sort of thing, you know, set, turning people away, sending people to Rwanda, even, even they didn't do it like that. You know, this is what the Nazis did. It's, it's not, it's not a kind of question. It's not opinion. It's a fact. And Tuella Braverman is frankly, to my mind, evil. She's an awful, awful woman and should not be allowed anywhere near government or anything, really. She is, she makes Pretty Patel seem like quite friendly and generally nice person. <laughs> my, my big issue is, this is being done by a, by a government led by a man who has, what, 150 votes that got him in? Was it? Yeah. That's Rishi Sunak. Yeah. He's got no legitimacy whatsoever to make, you know, massive policy changes like this. He's got no right to do this. He has no no backing of anyone. He got backed by 150 late uh, Tory MPs, and that's all it required because everyone else didn't get enough. Literally, that's all he's got. He hasn't even got the Tory members, which still wouldn't be legitimate in my mind anyway. When Gordon Brown took over as Prime Minister, all the Tories were on about was like, you're illegitimate, you need to call an election. And yet twice now, it's not even the first person after Boris Johnson, it's the second person after Boris Johnson who's coming. Mm-hmm. They're making a mockery of democracy and then they, you know, they're sticking these policies in that are just evil in my view. You know, they say say that, you know, people, and the, the ludicrous thing is, as you say, Lineker is not allowed to express opinion, but the Tory party donor who, who gave money to Boris Johnson is the chairman of the BBC. I mean, how is that not political in their view? The BBC, in my mind, have become more and more right-wing as, as over the last 10 years, as they've got more and more threatened by the fact they might get defunded. Mm. Or at least, at least they've been pandering more. Uh, yeah. to, uh, they basically yeah. let the Tories get away with murder because they're worried they're going to have to take away the licence fee and they're not going to be funded anymore. And it's, and it's, I've just had enough of it. It's just they're literally, they might as well be a, t- a right-wing tabloid these days. Yeah. They, they literally... Well, there's no kind of, and Lineker is a sports reporter. He's not like a sport, you know, he's not a, a news person saying on the news that he thinks this. He's a person employed by the BBC for a sports programme expressing an opinion on Twitter. Now, it's yeah. ironic that these people who are, the people who agree with this policy, the far right people who generally, or the right wing people who agree with the policy probably, are the ones who always say like, oh, you know, freedom of speech and all that sort of thing when someone like Clarkson speaks out. But yet now it's Lineker who doesn't agree with them. Basically, their view is freedom of speech when it when someone agrees with us. Yeah, exactly when it's convenient. And um, you know, Lineker's kind of probably left centre or something like that. I suppose his politics might be. But why isn't he allowed an opinion? As you said, he's not a sports ambassador or someone with a particularly delicate role. I don't see there's any problem with him having an opinion unless it goes to an extreme either way. And my, my policy it's not even opinion. It's not even, I mean, to me, well, yeah. that's just well, a statement of fact. If, if you well, look yes. at the actual, with what the, you know, the, the historical facts of what the Nazis did, you know, yeah. she can back away from it all she wants to, but it's a fact that they, they did demonize immigrants and make them out to be, you know, and make out that, you know, all these bad things about them and throw yeah. them out of the country and that sort of thing. He's you not know? saying they're going to go on to be neo Nazis, <laughs> although that's no. a potential it's, it's what they did before the war yeah it goes in stages and we need to be concerned and expressed opinions if things yeah. are starting to go along those lines it's at least worthy of mention and observation without recourse i don't see what the issue is with that at all um 
the BBC thing is, I mean, I'm a big advocate of the BBC in terms of I think I, I really am in favour of keeping it going and trying to be impartial, admittedly, yeah. but in, in a general sense, certainly in terms of news reporting and, and along those lines. But I do think it provides an excellent service. I do think they provide standards of excellence in a lot of what they do, the range of what they cover, the the, the production quality, you know, things like um, – the way they pick up on music as inserts and montages and things like that, and through to the the quality of the documentary filmmaking, it's not going to be for everyone. And sometimes you could pick, nitpick and find quality issues or impartiality issues, but generally they try to get it right with most of what they do. So I've always been a fan of it. However, there's two issues with it. One is the the fact that not everyone will have that opinion, and therefore the notion that you have to pay a license fee if you're going to have terrestrial channels in general is a bit of a an abstract situation and secondly this whole thing of impartiality they've in in essence a government has got them over a barrel in terms of they they are related to the bbc and then they have um obviously they're steering whichever government it is is steering certain policies in one direction or another and the bbc as a news channel has to uh, report with impartiality even though technically they're pseudo bosses or bosses whatever you want to call them <laughs> have a vested interest so that itself is is a bit of a clash of situations isn't it um, yeah. um it's a whole, a whole bit of a mess but i think to the news the update latest update this year is also pulled out tomorrow as well well good well i'm really glad actually that there's such a significant sway going on there and i hope obviously the bbc aren't going to report that um in much detail um if at all, but I'm glad there's a movement and there will be publicity elsewhere, social media being what it is and uh, podcasts and yeah. various other news outlets on other channels, of course, will be l- lapping it up. And rightly so. The BBC have shot themselves in the foot by the, 14 The problem minutes. is, the irony is, just the very people who approve this this whole like right wing kind of are the ones who want to defund the BBC, so they're probably loving this even more. You know, the, kind of the right wing press and the right wing media want and the right-wing kind of quite activists want to defund the BBC. So they're actually shooting themselves on both feet. (laughs) It's almost like kind of, yeah, playing into their hands, even though they kind of win-win in the situation. You know, either the BBC let Lily Caron, they could attack it, or they could just pile on with the attack on the BBC anyway for not letting him. My my favourite quote this week was from Penny Mordaunt, who showed herself to be an absolute idiot uh, in uh, Parliament yesterday, where she was quoted as saying, about talk about Labour, they are a party of goal hangers with the occasional left wing striker hanging around the goal, goal mouth, poised to seize any opportunities and take an easy shot, which is what uh, comparing her to Lineker. But that only works if the ball is in the right half. This country doesn't need goal hangers, it needs centre forwards. I don't know what you thought Lineker was then. <laughs> it needs people to put in the hard work, take tough decisions, grip a problem, and work out how to solve it and create those opportunities. That's not a centre forward then, you stupid woman. <laughs> Yeah, if you're going to make metaphors, renowned for being pretty lazy. That's your that's your central midfielder. Your you know your Casado or McAllister. It's not your. Uh, it's not. There's nailing your metaphors. There's mixing your metaphors. But if you do it in a certain art, art worthiness, you can you can maybe um, style it out. And then there's doing what she's doing there. But speaking of metaphors, this shooting yourself in both feet. Uh, which is what the BBC seem to be doing. You can't tend to walk if you've been shot in both feet. No. Even if you've done it yourself. And, and their position is almost untenable in one sense that, you know, they, they've, they've created a load of negative publicity. There's going to be a huge amount of um, support for Lineker because I think people who have similar political standing will, but I think generally people will, who yeah. aren't too hardline the other way, will think, well, 
hang on, what the hell's going on here? Why is our presenter being effectively forced off the screen for the time being? Because we know that's effectively what's happened here. Um, because of uh, an opinion there. If he'd have, if he'd have liked the tweet, would there have been an issue? I doubt no, it. It's, yeah. it would have felt incidental. It's, just, it's, it's further kind of, yeah, it's, it's censorship of the of any anything that's not right wing from the government, basically. You know, yeah. anything that doesn't back their right wing views in the media needs to be censored because they don't want yeah. they, they effectively don't want democracy in a sense yeah. they don't want anyone commenting on them in a bad way they want just to be focused on the good stuff although it wasn't a big thing this week when Richie Sunak was asked by the Grimsby MP whether he thought Grimsby were going to win the FA Cup because he's now expressing sports Southampton I think and, he, and they'd lost the Grimsby I think it was and he supports Southampton anyway not that Southampton fans were any were very happy about it but yeah well, just to... let's, not, let's also, while we talk about political figures and support, let's not forget that Farage supports Palace. Oh, God, yeah, I forgot about that. Um, I've just, but, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, he's hateful enough as an individual already, and um, his total like qualities don't lend him any charm either. And drinking pints doesn't make you a man of the people, uh, Nigel. Uh, but he, he's got the perfect name to be a Palace fan, by the way, hasn't he, Nigel? Uh, it's just ridiculously perfect. Um I, I just, uh, yeah, I don't want to get too political about it, but I have great concerns with things getting too far to one side or the other in general. And I have particular concerns with people then censoring uh, criticism of that process happening. Um, they, they said this should never happen again after Nazi Germany. And hopefully it never will in terms of, in context of Western Europe. But, you know, it's the first step on the way. That's where they're going at the moment. How far I mean, no one's actually seriously suggesting we're going to end up with that situation. No, no. there is well, a, a critical. You wonder. There, is, there is a very strong, clear case that this is where it started. That's not again. That's not to say it will carry on in the same direction. Obviously, won't. We're a democracy. No, no. But, no. but it, there is a you know there are correlations, and they need to be pointed out. And it's terrible policy. It's evil in my view, and it's it's genuinely you know it's really quite upsetting and. Yeah, and he was right to, to speak out for it. He's right to, you know, to stand up for himself. And I'm really glad that both Shearer and Wright have stayed stuck up for him. Absolutely, as well. I'm glad all three of them have, have stood up for what they believe in, which is just a fair play, really, and it's yeah. a footbally type of expression. And we, we won't dwell on it too much more because obviously it'll go on for hours. We could rant about this, but I, I hope there's a lot more reaction as well, positive yeah. reaction from certain. My last political point. What I make is that the, the Tories try to blame immigration or illegal immigrants for the NHS waiting lists and things like that. I find hilarious. So, like, you've literally underfunded the NHS over 18 years with Thatcher and Major and then over 10 years in the last 10 years. That's why the NHS has got waiting lists that are really long. Illegal immigrants can't use the NHS because they don't have a NHS number. Yeah, and there's staff shortages as well. I wonder, wonder why that. Yeah, exactly. It's nothing. Yeah. To do. It's like it's, it's quite a dangerous thing, you know, diatribe blaming blaming immigration for all the problems of the country. It's what brought us Brexit, which has worked out so well so far. And we, well, you know, kind of. Well, on a lighter note, mentioning. Uh, you've mentioned Grimsby and we've mentioned censorship there. On a lighter note, I've been going on the Grimsby forums actually to just get a feel for what they're thinking about the game coming up. And um, they've sold their 4,621 allocation very easily, by the way, um, for the game. So they're, they're 
unsurprisingly are going to be bringing the full whack and they could have sold many many more by all accounts from what i can gauge six or seven thousand could have come i think but maybe more than that um so congratulations to them on getting that sorted so quickly i think there was a bit of um fuss about their ticketing arrangements because it went on sale immediately after a game at 10 a at 10 p.m on a match day which would have led to people being encouraged to leave the game early to get in the front of the queue. And then it went on sale online at 12. So uh, there was a lot of criticism on the message boards, which was interesting to read. But what I wanted to mention about the message boards was something quite amusing. Um, loads of Brighton fans have gone on there. Just It's all been very, very positively received. Lots of um, favourable comments about Brighton fans saying cl- a cl- good class of, of fans and all this sort of stuff, and they know their history and everything else, which is great. To, it's been really good on there, I have to say. But then suddenly out of the blue, um, somebody somebody put a post on which said, referring to one of the Brighton fans, saying, I bet, because uh, we were talking about getting to the ground early potentially because of... There's Lewis have got their women's FA Cup quarter final against Man United with a I think it's a three and a half thousand or three thousand sellout on the same day as our game. So people were talking about where to go and everything else. And the suggestion was made you can go to the ground early, drink outside or inside the concourses. And this guy said, I bet the sodomist um has got um, invested interest in the concourses and the club or something like that. And I thought, well, it's all been so nice. Why has somebody put that down? And by all accounts, the uh, the website actually um, does um, also corrects on rude words. So it's changed what was probably, I bet the bugger's got an interest in, you know, <laughs> nothing to do with um, homophobia, just saying the bugger as in, the git <laughs> has got a vested interest and it's changed it to sodomist which then caused a minor row which clearly was completely un- unintentional and i think it's all calmed down quite quickly so it's it, thankfully that didn't cause any real animosity but it did amuse me the, the fact that a, a system thought it was being clever and it actually created a problem that wasn't going to be a problem uh but there we go there we go <laughs> Anyway, um, we we're close to selling out, I think, as we speak on the on the Grimsby game as well. I believe that's correct for next Sunday. Um, yeah, I think we're yeah, close to. I think yeah, so it could be a good atmosphere. Yeah, just just a fraction under thirty two thousand. That'll be. Um, I've got a ticket. Are you going as well, Peter? Presumably, I am. Yeah. Are you in your usual seat? I'm in the north. I am. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've done we've moved before, but this time we've gone for our normal seats. I've I've gone for the north um, next to some friends. Um, got some inflatable seagulls for the battle of the inflatables against the haddocks. Um, I believe Paul Barber at the Seagulls Ever London confirmed that we could bring inflatables in. Um, amusingly, um, Jeff, who's the son of, uh, of Seagulls, well, he's a member of Seagulls Ever London, and as his parents, and uh, he's been trying out the notion of putting helium. <laughs> <laughs> to see if they'll float. And apparently one of his inflatable seagulls did in fact explode. Um, so much as it was amusing, and it was only a couple of quid cost, um, yeah, don't inflate your seagulls with helium. They won't fly like real seagulls. Um, That's your advice for today, you know. Yes, exactly. Yes, we don't just do football analysis and comment. We we give advice about uh, uh, gas implementation. We do, into analysis. we do like advice on helium use and and much more. <laughs> oh man. so there we go uh tragic isn't it really but there we are um so the cup game we're looking forward to um we've mentioned about the women's game we've obviously we've got the Leeds match coming up we'll talk about that in part three um there was one other bit i wanted to mention though the west ham game is part of an incredible football 
goal scoring fest that I've been witness to in the past couple of weeks. Went to there was a game between Ware and Walthamstow um, on our weekend off because of the Newcastle League Cup match. Uh, went along to that. It finished 6-4 to Walthamstow, who scored after eight seconds. They then went 2-1 down for half time, came back to 3-2 up, went 4-3 down uh, after two two really gold, gilt-edge chances. They did finally get a winner where, or at least we thought it was at 4-3. But no, Walthamstow scored three goals in injury time to win four, uh, 6-4. So that was 10 goals. I then went to the West Ham game, of course. So that's 14 goals in two games. And I've crowned it all off by watching nine goals in the Ebbsfleet United versus Worthing game on Tuesday. So I've now seen 23 goals in three games, <laughs> which is insane. Um, all I can say about the Ebbsfleet game is that they are a very, very good team, really good footballing team. I think there's something like 18 points clear at the top of the division. It was 7 against Worthing last time as well, wasn't it? 7 nil or something? I think it was 6-0, I think. Yeah, and they were mocking they were mocking Worthing fans about that as well. They've basically bought the title. They're a professional club playing in National League South, which is, to, to put it bluntly, unusual. Um, they've spent a lot of money. They're not the only one, though, who haven't got um, no. Worthing's top scorer because they're professional, I think, didn't they? Oh, I think they are. I think they are, yeah. Um, they were very close to going out last year at Fleet FC as well. Yeah, they are a very good team and they're only going in one direction. It's quite nice grounds. They've built a couple of stands. They've got a really good terrace that holds about 2,500 behind one goal. And the other side is now seating what was a terrace undercover at the other end. First half, Worthing were in the middle behind the goal that they were attacking. But that is clearly where the home fans always station themselves for the whole match, as you people will know, non-league, you, you can move around and they, they tend to to go to the end where their team's attacking. But Ebbsfleet stayed behind the same goal. So you have Worthing fans immediately next to the noisy Ebbsfleet fans. And to the right hand side, so the other side, there were seated Ebbsfleet fans as well. It was really bizarre. Uh, quite good banter, quite a bit of derogatory stuff, but it was all, I think, generally in good nature. Nothing nasty happening. Um, but um, Worthing took the lead then found themselves 5-1 down, came back to 5-2 and eventually lost 7-2. They asked to win the playoffs. And the other disappointment from that game was I was going to jump on co-coms with our friend Peter Vale, uh, who's a, a, an avid Worthing fan and does the commentaries home and away. And because Ebb's fleet are so big for their boots, they wouldn't let me go in to join him in a segmented area of probably, I suppose, about 30 or 40 seats. Uh, in which he was residing literally on his own with a sort of a two-seater table space. They wouldn't let me go in because I didn't have a press pass. And we said, well, there's loads of room here. And they said, no, you can't come in without a press pass. So they're getting ready for officious EFL standards. So they're only going in one direction, aren't they? <laughs> that was a bit of a shame. But I did get on with him for the whole of half time having a chat. Um but anyway, there we go. 23 goals in three games. Unfortunately, I'm not going to the Leeds match of the weekend, so we may only win 2-1, as I've predicted. Uh, Peter, you are going, aren't you? So we'll we'll get on to that in a moment. But any other football business um, before we get on to part three? Um, not really, no. I think we've pretty much covered it, haven't we? I don't remember any managerial changes. Yeah. Um, we mentioned the Tough Sheet Stadium, didn't we, on the last podcast? Yeah. I still love that sponsorship of Bolton's Ground so much. The Tough Sheet Stadium. Local building supply manufacturers, by the way, in case anyone's wondering. I'm sure they're not. I think we mentioned Gareth Ainsworth has gone to QPR yeah. after a very long period. Wasn't it? 
Yeah, he's he's been at Wickham for ages. And Matt Bloomfield, who was at Colchester, has now taken over there. And I think he's he should be able to at least keep them interested in the playoffs. Um, a, a very long-serving player for the club. There's there's a longevity and a stability factor to Wick, Wickham, which I quite like. Ainsworth struggling with QPR. They might still go down, so that's going to be interesting. Yeah, they've got a lot of injuries, apparently, and they're struggling a bit. And... One team that sorted themselves out is Bristol City. Nigel Pearson's doing all right with them now. They've done pretty well. Um, couldn't get past City, Man City in the FA Cup. They've, they've certainly steadied the ship there. Um, did you know that they had a 469-day wait um, for a penalty to be awarded, which was a couple of weeks ago? They finally got awarded a penalty, which they scored. 469 days. And we think we don't get the penalties we deserve. What do you think about that, Peter? I mean, we don't know. They might have not had a deserved penalty at that time, for all we know. Well, they seem to think they should have had some. <laughs> I don't know how many or to what degree, but there we go. And um, one of the quotes as well, very quickly, from Steve Farris, friend of the show. Hello, Steve, who's a qualified ref, does local football in the southeast area and is a member of Seagulls over London. And when Lee Mason uh, was sacked, he said, so pleased. He gives us referees a bad name, not only unfit to referee on the pitch, but also unfit to do the basics in VAR. When Dermot, the puppet of the PGMOL, goes on Sky and says he can't understand why, then you know your goose is cooked. Um, so that's just one final comment, which I meant to mention a couple of episodes ago regarding Lee Mason. So we're going to take our break here and then our, our third and very short final part, where we preview Peter's um, second favourite team that we're visiting at the weekend. I think you mean everyone's second favourite team. Every Everyone's second favourite team. And so to the best bit, of course, part three. Best because it's nearest to the end, of course, folks. If you are travelling up to Leeds, you might be listening to this on your way up as we speak. Who knows? If you are, hello to you all. Well done for travelling. And we hope you enjoy the podcast. We particularly hope you enjoy the match because it's Ellen Road. It's away. We've got a mix... Um, a mixed record against them. We are literally just one win ahead of them in the head-to-head. I think we've had something like 19 wins to their 18, and there's something like 15 draws each. Um, so it's pretty close overall. Uh, we've had a lot of draws, more more than we should have done against them, I think, in recent times. I think we drew both games last season under, under um, Ted Lasso. <laughs> Sorry, American listeners, I know you hate that comparison. But yeah, Jesse March um, last year, I think both draws... We did get the better of him this season earlier on. Pascal Grosch, I believe, scored the I winner. Ruby Elsa would have been in charge the first one, wouldn't he? The home one. Oh, yeah, you might be right, actually. It might it might have been for the first of the two last season, yeah. The, uh, one, where, the one where Potter got booed by about 75 million people. No, he, he, he got appointed in September, history. didn't he? He got appointed in September. Did he? I think, I think so. Or was I it late? Like much later in the season. Oh, no, it's later in the season. Yeah, you're right, I'm... I'm, I'm mixing him up with someone else, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. the Leeds home one last season was the one where Graham Potter got booed by about 75 million angry people, like a mob, <laughs> with pitchforks and, like, sh- shouting abuse at him, trying to burn down stuff. And he, he didn't realise the history behind it. No, that's right. We need a history lesson on that one, don't we, Pete? Um, yeah, um, OK, so it's two games of Jesse Marshall. We, we drew both games last year with different managers. And then this season... We one up there last year, we were up. We had chances to make it 2-0, didn't we, comfortably? And we batted them at home and drew 0-0, which is why there was the booing. There was a frustration that we... I think that was one of the Mope could look like he wouldn't score ever again, wasn't it? Oh, that was terrible, then, wasn't it? And then he went and scored two last-minute equalisers in the space of a week. 
so frustrating. If only we'd been allowed to vent our frustration without recourse, that would have been nice. But anyway, um, this season we did get the 1-0 win. Pascal Gross scored the winner. Probably should have been more of a margin than it was, but nonetheless, we got the win. Great. Chance to do the double over two relegation candidates on successive weeks, if we can win at Ellen Road. Um, we've, we've got a good record up there. We, we often win or draw, don't we? So um, you're going up, Peter. And for your sake, I hope it's a good day out, of course, for all of our sakes. Um, do you think it will be? So you say about the record being pretty equal, but since the Amex, it's really not. We've won, I think, and I've worked it out, 11 games and they've won two and there's been four draws mm. to, to the Amex. One of their wins was an absolute travesty where the guy, if they scored in the last minute with a blatant handball to the point where they showed one replay on the screen and it was such a blatant handball that all the Brighton fans were shouting the abuse that they, that they stopped showing replays after that. It was it was such a blatant handball. Not that I'm bitter, obviously, still, obviously, but, you know. No, no, you don't hold grudges, do you? But no, that's I, I, one of my main hobbies, not holding grudges. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm never that confident going Ellen Road because, you know, it is quite a, without, you know, in all directions, it's quite an intimidating place if the crowd get behind them. And, you know, we, you know, we, it's not going to be ideal. I'm a bit more nervous with, I'd probably, if I was offered four points from a draw tomorrow and a win against Palace, I'd probably take that. Mm. You know, it's like, in, in reality, probably. But yeah, I mean, who knows? We could, it's a bit like that one at Palace. It could be 1-0 to them or it could be like 3-0 to us. Like that. It depends on your mindset and your level of, level of ambition, in terms of ambition of what you think we can achieve this yeah. season. Um, I, I wouldn't take the draw at the moment. I, I, I really, really think we should be getting wins in both games. I'm you not saying we should be will. beating teams like Leeds. Beating teams like Leeds, beating teams like Palace. Here we go. We've become a, our own monster, haven't we? No, but I, I do think, you know, based on what we're trying to do here, and we may not get as good a chance. Who knows what will happen next season? We might lose to Zerbi or things may go off the rails or we might lose too many of our good players and not be able to replace them quite well enough in the shorter term, whatever it might be. I really want us to go as much as we can for this. I know there's the cup as well, but I really want us to to get six points in these two games. And I think we can. draws, I don't think, this season. Because I think the service is going to keep throwing more and more men on who are yeah. attackers. It's, it's yeah. just the way, the way he works. That's big balls, Peter, big balls. That's why we lost to Fulham, but it's also why we beat Bournemouth. So it's like, you know, you yeah, gained a point out of it, although one of our rivals has gained two points as well. Um, true. But that's OK as long as we can keep getting the proportions in our favour ourselves and not worry about the other teams too much I, do, I mean obviously yeah, depending on what happens on the day we might end up being grateful for a point who knows they are yeah they, they are very vocal at home they are very good at home the fans but that can also work against them if they're struggling with you know I don't think Leeds fans are going to be happy if we're playing the ball around and they're sitting off us they're yeah. not going to be happy with that they're going to be you know quite vocal about it Switch this is the them. thing We'll then push them forward, arguably, and then play into our hands a bit. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, this This is what we want, isn't it? This yeah, is the beauty of yeah, playing away. We, we have teams that are feeling under pressure, are inclined, either by what the manager says when he sets and sends them out, saying it's a home game, come on, let's get at them, boys, or whether it's the fans or it's a combination of the two. The players are inclined. It doesn't make logical sense, but they are more inclined to attack at home than away. Each game's a game. What what should it matter, the difference? But it but does. Didn't do it. Yeah, that's right. And we should have been Paris. And they were very, very lucky on, on two different counts. Uh, one a horrendous mistake by our goalie and one a horrendous mistake by VAR. But we, the luck's got to turn somewhere. It's not going to even out because that's not a thing. But it it can at least go somewhere towards it. And 
you know, maybe we'll get a lucky decision in this game. Maybe we need something like that. I think we will win it. I don't think it'll be easy. And I went on the LS11 podcast, which is a Leeds United podcast that I think is affiliated to the Athletic, but I'm not sure, with a guy called Darren, nice guy, Leeds fan. And um, he he was saying... He's he would be very happy with the draw in the game. Um, he was also saying that he didn't really expect to get a result, but there's always a chance with the game. Um, but he's been very impressed with the way we played. He likes the way we play, and he thinks that regardless of what happens at the weekend, that we were in a really good chance of qualifying for Europe. And that seems to be the general consensus from people he's spoken to as well. So that's all nice. But in terms of um, how we'll do, I, I think it's going to be tighter just because I think it's going to be one of those games like the Bournemouth match uh, I suppose where it's not going to be easy to break them down I, I don't know who knows they might play into our hands as you said depends on the pressures of the crowd but as with the West Ham game if we can get an early or relatively early goal I think we're quids in and as you said the recent record is is good against them not that, that plays into anything uh, particularly related to the weekend but um if we can get the win uh, tomorrow, as we're speaking tomorrow, um, and then we've got the game on Wednesday against Palace, that gives us four days solid rest before we go into the uh, the cup match. Um, really, the six points, if we, if we were to get both results, and I think we should get both results, we should, not saying we will, then do you think that will, that will be it? Do you reckon we're quids in for Europe? No, absolutely not, no. no. <laughs> I was trying to trick you into into saying yes, but no, there's still too many games to play, isn't there? There's what, still something... quite a lot of the big teams to play as well. We yeah, we've got one of the big seven. So was it eleven games after that left? I think it is. No, more than thirteen, mm. isn't it? We played twenty-three yeah. currently, so yeah. it's twenty-five. So we'll have twenty-three, have thirteen left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Difficult to call, but yeah, I, I think you really aren't going to trick me into that. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> well you're you're going to the game I'm not but I, I'm not I've got to say I'm not going to be happy if we come away without a win unless we've been very fortunate to get a draw in which case fine but but sitting here now before the match we've got to be we've got to be looking for three points and the bonus of course is from a Brighton point of view of fans who, who are absolutely love Leeds their second team is Leeds are teetering on the brink they are in the very last place they want to be outside of the relegation places the one next to the relegation places. Um, there's a pretty good chance they drop into the bottom three if they lose the match, or or indeed even if they draw the match. So there's the added bonus of that, Peter. Um, hmm, we'll see, we'll see. Um, speaking of Leeds fans, I'm going to try and get on Phil Annette, our FA Cup expert, who we haven't had on for a while. I'll try and get him on for the next episode because he, he can give us his thoughts on whatever's happened at the weekend. And also, of course, the FA Cup will be coming up after that. So we might get him up on one of our, our episodes next week. We'll see. Um, but that pretty much rounds it up, unless you have anything further to add. No. Mosh. No. On, that basis, on that basis, then, we shall we shall finish the episode. And we'll probably do, I think we'll probably do some kind of match day special uh, for the Palace game, I'd imagine. That might be uh, next on the agenda. But uh, in the meantime, Peter, thanks for joining me as usual. And stand or fall. Up the Albion. Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.